1: Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8 of the Common English Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning, crying, or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, All is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will freely give water from the life-giving spring. Those who emerge victorious will inherit these things. I will be their God, and they will be my sons and daughters. But for the cowardly, the faithless, the vile, the murderers, those who commit sexual immorality, those who use drugs and cast spells, the idolaters and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. The word of God for the people of God.
0: Thank you, Sharon, for reading our scripture today. So, Revelation is the final book in the Bible. Notice it's revelation, singular, not revelations, plural. You see, there is only one revelation in this book written by John of Patmos. The very first two sentences of the book make it clear what revelation is being shared. Quote, a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must must soon take place. Christ made it known by sending it through his angel to his servant, John, and John bore witness to the word of God and to the witness of Jesus Christ, including all that John saw. So this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why then do we also call this book the apocalypse of John? When I use that word apocalypse, do you immediately picture some dystopian landscape in your mind's eye? In the Bible, the term apocalypse is used to talk about the revealing of divine mysteries. The word literally means unveiling. It can refer either to an unveiling of ignorance, or it can refer to something like what happens in this book. A literal unveiling of things that have not yet happened, but which will happen. John had all sorts of visions. But when we stop and read this book, it doesn't seem very clear. It doesn't unveil ignorance when I stop to read it. Reverend McLaren reflected on this text in this week's chapter of the book, We Make the Road by Walking. And he wrote, quote, Some people might wonder why such an odd composition was even included in the biblical library. Others seem obsessed by it. They are certain that it is a coded history of the future, telling us how the world will someday end. That way of reading Revelation is based on a lot of assumptions that deserve to be questioned. For example, did God create a closed and predetermined universe or a free and participatory one? Is the future a movie that has already been created and we're simply watching it play out? Or is the future open, inviting us not simply to resign ourselves and adapt, but to become protagonists who improvise, who invent, and who help create the outcome, being a co-worker with God? Having left behind this idea of the roadmap of the future, let's look at this text of Revelation, thinking of it in a fresh way. The first step to do that is to put this text back into the historical context. Our best scholars agree that this was most likely composed during the bloody reign of either Nero in the 60s AD or Domitian in the 90s AD. Life was always hard for people in the Roman Empire. Unless you were rich, then life was pretty good. But most people weren't rich. And so the followers of Jesus most likely were those who had a hard life. And when they became a follower of Jesus, it became even harder. Because, you see, to follow Jesus meant to say that Jesus was Lord, not Caesar. Life was extremely precarious when the person running the empire was vicious, paranoid, and insane, which both Nero and Domitian were. Life got even tougher when the madmen on the throne demanded to be worshipped as a god, Something that followers of Christ would not do. So under these circumstances, you can imagine the followers of Christ thinking something like this. Jesus has been gone for decades. The world is not getting better. In fact, if anything, with this crazy Roman dictator, it's getting worse. Maybe Jesus was wrong. Maybe it's time to forget about this turn-the-cheek-and-love-your-enemies business. Maybe we need to take matters into our own hands, pick up a sword, and fight for the future we want. Or maybe we should just eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we may all be dead. In this historical context, Revelation is the very opposite of a code book that maps out the end of the world. Instead, it addresses the crisis at hand. Even if the emperor is mad, Revelation claims, it is not the end of the world. Even if wars rage, it is not the end of the world. Even if peace-loving disciples face martyrdom, it is not the end of the world. Even if the world as we know it comes to an end, that ending is a beginning. There is a new heaven and a new earth. Whatever happens, God will be faithful. And the way of Christ, the way of love, nonviolence, compassion, That is the way that will triumph in the new heaven and the new earth. Along with historical context, we should also look at the literary context for Revelation. This is called the literature of the oppressed. Literature of the oppressed arises among peoples living under dictatorships who have no freedom of speech. If they dare criticize the dictator, they may never be heard from again. In fact, they might even become a martyr. But being silent in the face of injustice and oppression feels like cooperating with it. As literature of the oppressed, the book of Revelation provided the early disciples with a clever way of giving voice to the truth. When freedom of speech was dangerous to embrace and remaining silent was dangerous because you were complicit, they had to find another way to speak truth. And so imagine, instead of saying the emperor is a fraud and his violent regime cannot stand, what if you told a story about a monster who comes out of the sea and is then defeated? Or instead of saying the religious establishment is corrupt, you tell a story about a whore. Instead of naming today's Roman Empire as being doomed, talk about an empire of the past like Babylon, which collapsed in failure. If we read Revelation as a map of predetermined future, the consequences are disastrous. For example, if we look at the scripture in Revelation 19 where it talks about Jesus coming on a white horse, we might envision a very different Jesus than the one we meet in the Gospels. This Jesus won't be a peace and love guy anymore, but a violence and revenge guy. When we read about people being thrown into a lake of fire at the end of Revelation in chapter 20... And if we take that text literally, we may see God as some type of sadistic torturer. If we interpret this text literally in Revelation 21, it sounds like the earth will be destroyed, so why don't we do whatever we want? Why does climate change even matter? There is a high cost to reading Revelation outside of its historical and literary context. And people who read this text without thinking about either of those will miss some important details. For example, that text I mentioned from Revelation 19 about Jesus riding in on that white horse. Well, you see in that text, it says that his robes are bloodstained and he carries a sword. Some would interpret this as being a proponent of violence, but they miss the details. They miss the fact that he carries the sword in his mouth, not his hand, and they miss the fact that he has bloodstains on his robes before the battle begins. This would suggest the blood on his robe is symbolic of the blood that he shed on the cross out of self-giving love. And in that light, Revelation reinforces the Jesus we met in the Gospels. There is a beautiful vision at the end of the book of Revelation. It pictures a new heaven and a new earth. And in this city, there is no need for a temple because God's presence is felt everywhere. In the days where this text would have been written, God used to be only in the temple. You had to go to Jerusalem to go to the temple to be in the presence of God. And when Christ came, he reminded us that the kingdom of God has drawn near. And when we read about this vision of the new heaven and the new earth, we don't need a temple because God's presence is felt everywhere. And it says that there's no need for a sun or a moon because the light of Christ illuminates and the gates are never shut. It welcomes people from around the world to receive the treasures it offers. And in the center of that city, a river flows a river of life, and along the banks grows the tree of life. All of this imagery evokes the original creation story. This was the story we heard when we began our journey almost a year ago, reading our way through scripture, making our road as we walked together. The story of the tree of life in the garden of Eden. And now the tree of life we encounter in the new heaven and the new earth. And in God's own words, when he speaks of this, he says, behold, I am making all things new. So rather than offering some secret glimpse into the future wars that may come, Revelation offers us an insight into the beautiful new heaven and new earth. And to those original hearers of this text, it offered them insight into their present situation. It reminded them that God's work in history has never been about escaping earth and going to heaven. It has been about God being with us. God choosing to enter into human history to be with us in the brokenness of this world, to remember that God has done this in Christ. God has closed the distance between humanity and divinity by embodying all that it was to be human. We have journeyed almost a year from that tree of life when God walked in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And now we look at the tree of life That we will one day see for ourselves in the new heaven and the new earth. We will see this tree in the garden and we will know that promise in its fullness. But right now, today, we live between those trees. And the gift of this time living between those two trees is that what was true for those original hearers of Revelation is still true for us today. Even when there is madmen in power, even when chaos is breaking out, when danger threatens, when war ravages, still we know the river of life is flowing in heaven. That tree of life is bearing fruit. And Christ has promised that the kingdom of God has come near. We can taste the fruit of the new kingdom here and now in our own lives. We don't need to wait until we get to heaven to see the fruit of the spirit in our lives. We simply say yes to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we allow that grace to work in us to sanctify us and make us holy so that we will bear the fruit of the spirit here and now in our lives and in this world. Thanks be to God. Amen.